God, we do pray that you would reign in us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how grateful we are that we worship a God in three persons, blessed Trinity. We give you thanks for all the ways in which you reveal ourselves, yourself, in our lives. We stand amazed. We thank you for the gifts that you have given to this community in athletics and music and dance and intelligence and academic work and writing and art. We thank you for things like the play. We thank you for things like concerts. We thank you that we get to go to games. Thank you for all these good things. We thank you too that after a week of class, we are delighted, some of us, by many of us, by good professors and by affirmation that we're studying the right stuff. And Lord, we also ask that you send your Holy Spirit to remind us that our primary vocation right now, after being your disciple, is to be a student. And what that means is sometimes we need to be disciplined and focused and do work that doesn't particularly interest us, but it's part of learning about your great world. And so, Lord, keep us faithful to that call that you've placed on our lives. We ask your blessing on our campus. We ask your blessing on our leaders. We pray particularly as the administration and the search committee narrow down candidates for a provost, the chief academic officer, the one who oversees all of our professors. Lord, we ask a blessing as they come to a decision and think about who would be good to serve in this role. Lord, may your will be very clear to the candidates and to the committee. Raise up the right person, the man or woman after your own heart, who can serve in this way. And we pray for our campus, too, as we long for spring. We pray that you keep us safe as we walk and move on slippery roads. We pray for many in the staff and faculty who have snow removal problems, and it can be hard and can be frustrating. And so we pray for your mercy, and we pray for some warmer weather. And Lord, we ask your blessing on us as a community as we seek to be faithful to what you have called us to be. And we see that in the words of Rebecca and Aaron as they think about Borbenink. And Lord, we do pray that you break down any barriers to community there. Pride, laziness, self-centeredness, the belief that if I really said what I thought, if I really said who I was, that I would be rejected. Lord, we pray that you break through these things by the power of your Holy Spirit so that Borbenic becomes a place where people feel safe and at home. We pray, Lord, that they will indeed feel the pull of your Holy Spirit, inviting them into the next thing. We pray a blessing on Jared and Meredith. We ask a blessing on their marriage. We pray for the leaders on this, in this each floor, that they will be men and women after your own heart, that they will be salt and light in Borbenic. We pray even that as we walk past or as we think of Borbenink this week, that we will lift it up in prayer, that it won't just be something that we've done here in Loft today, but Spirit, that you'll bring it to mind through this week and clearly show us how we can intercede for our brothers and sisters who live there. And Lord, we intercede for Megan Herringa. We thank you for the healing that has taken place. We thank you that she is in remission from her leukemia, and yet we know she is so vulnerable. And so, Lord, in your mercy, we pray for healing for her. We pray for her lungs. We pray for a restoration of her hearing. We pray for her kidneys to function. Lord, we thank you for the progress that she has made, and we pray that you will give her patience, 
It's so hard for her to be in bed when she wants to be home. And so, Lord, give her and her family patience and give them hope day after day that she is improving and that your hand is with them. We thank you for the good news for Professor Prope that his cancer isn't nearly as serious as we had feared. And we pray, Lord, that you give him a good and healthy and long life. May he see his children grow up, and maybe even by your mercy, may he see his children's children. Show him this mercy, we pray. And for those in our community who have other things that are less well-known, less visible, struggles with mental illness, struggles with chronic health issues, grief over losses from the past. Lord, help us to be tender and sensitive. And when we think about growing together as community, these are the things that help us to grow. When we remember the anniversary of a loss for someone else, when we ask them, how has it been since your mom died? What do you still miss about your sister? Lord, help us to remember and help us to have the courage to ask. Lord, we thank you that you invite us into relationship with you. And now as we open your word and look at how you engage with us, we pray that you in your mercy will break our hearts open to what you continue to do in us. So Lord, we pray that on the reading and proclaiming of your word, your name will be glorified above all. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people say, Amen. I'm going to need a Bible. I'm good. Thanks, Christian. You're going to need that one. So we're starting a new series, a four-week series on relationships. Relationship with God is this week. Relationship with parents is next week. Relationship with friends is the week after that. And week four is relationship with what we're calling more than friends. We, we figured you knew what that meant. You knew what that meant. So tonight we're talking about our relationship with God, which can be a really huge and overwhelming topic. When we think about the God who is high and lifted up and holy and majestic, all the things that we sang about tonight. It can be really overwhelming to think about having a, how do you have a relationship with a God like that? What, is a, what does a good relationship with God even look like? How would we know if we had it? Well, one of the advantages of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is that God just isn't afar off and he, he isn't just invisible. He's actually someone we can know and read about. And when we think about relationship with God, that can be really overwhelming. But when we look at how Jesus Christ lived on earth and how he actually related to other people, we can get a pretty good idea of what a relationship with God actually looks like because those people had one with God in flesh. And so tonight, we're going to take a look at his relationship, at Jesus' relationship, in particular with one of his disciples. And we're going to look at the relationship between Jesus and Peter and see what that may have to teach us.
And so I invite you to turn first to John 13. In your pew Bibles, this is on page 876. Page 876, John 13. We'll be reading verses 1 through 17 of John 13. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not now know what I am doing, but later you'll understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. After Jesus had washed their feet and had put on his robe and had returned to the table, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for that's what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. One of the many things I love about this passage of Scripture is Peter is so eager, right? Peter's like all in. And many scholars believe that Peter was probably the oldest one of the disciples. He was the one who was married. He had a mother-in-law. You may remember that. Jesus healed her. He was the one who had to pay a temple tax. He and Jesus had to pay the temple tax. Apparently, none of the others did. You had to pay a temple tax when you reached a certain age of maturity. And often, Peter was the one who spoke up. And that was something that the, the oldest was supposed to do. And so if you can picture this meal... Jesus gets up. They've all kind of been having the Passover together. They're lying around the floor, and the food's in the middle, and their feet are out to the back because you want the, the bad stuff out in the back and the good stuff toward the front. And Jesus gets up, and he takes off his robe, and he ties his towel around him, and he starts going around and washing the feet. And you know that the other disciples are looking at Peter like, are you going to say something? This is very awkward. I mean, seriously, don't say something. So Jesus gets to Peter, and Peter's like, okay, I know what our relationship is about. Our relationship is you are the rabbi, I am the disciple, you are higher than me. Right now, you are mixing that up. It is freaking us out. We can't have this. Lord, you cannot wash my feet. I am establishing this relationship as I understand it. And Jesus says, no, 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 you, you don't get what I'm doing. You, you'll know in a little bit. Unless I wash you, you don't have any part of me. 
And the beer's like, oh, 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 it's a new thing. It's a new thing. Okay, 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 I get it, I get it, I get it. Hands two, hands two, head, head, head two. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Peter's all in, right? He's like trying so hard. Whatever you need, Jesus, I got it. I'm here. I'm all in. I'm fired up. You don't wash my feet. Wash all of me. Right? He's, he's like all in. He's trying so hard. He wants so badly to understand this relationship, to figure out what's going on. He wants Jesus to know, I got your back, Jesus. I'm on your side. And we smile at that because we get that, right? We get that. I mean, for Pete's sake, it's 8 o'clock on a Sunday, and we're here voluntarily, all of us. The Olympics are on. <laughs> we're here, right? We're like, Jesus, I'm in. I'm in. You got a worship service? I'm going to go. You got chapel? I'm in. You're in a Bible study? I'm going to do it. Spontaneous prayer group? Let's go. <laughs> we're the all-in kind of people. If you ever walk by a Christian bookstore and you're walking through the aisles, there are so many books that tell you how to have a relationship with God. You got to pray like this. You got to read scripture like this. You got to be in a small group like this. You got to tithe like this. You got to serve like this. And if you master all of these things, you got a relationship with God. Check. But is that what Jesus does? Does he say to the disciples, Y'all got to try a little harder. I am carrying all the weight by myself. Would you please step it up? Please try harder. Please work harder. Please be a little more earnest. What does Jesus do? Jesus moves toward his disciples. He moves toward them. He does this little microcosm of everything else that he's actually doing with his whole life. You see, the social hierarchy said servants washed feet, rabbis did not wash feet. And he flips that completely around. And what we see in Jesus, in this move toward service, in this move toward humility, is what we see in the whole of Jesus' life that the high and holy, lofty God, the one who is afar off, the one who is awe-inspiring, the one who made Moses' face shine, that God who is far off. Paul says it like this, Jesus Christ did not consider equality with that God as something to be grasped or exploited or hung on to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, even if it meant death on the cross. And so when Jesus says to Peter, hey, you're not going to get this right now, but you're going to get this later, he means in a few days, and then a few weeks after that, and then over the rest of your life, you're going to get that my move here, my move toward you in service and in humility and in love, this move here with the washing of the feet, this represents everything I'm doing, Peter. I move toward you. So sometimes you drive past churches and they've got that little sign out front that has the slogan of the week. You know what I'm talking about. 
And sometimes the slogan of the week is this one. I've seen this one a lot. It'll say, are you feeling far from God? Who moved? Now, what is that implying? That sign is saying, you need to work a lot harder. Because if you're not feeling close to God, well, then step it up. Because obviously the fault is with you. So if you're not feeling close to God, you better get with it. I hate that sign. Is that sign the gospel? The gospel is a God who is high and mighty and far off. The creator of the universe becomes a baby, becomes a rabbi who washes the feet of his disciples and dies on a cross. The one who is high draws near to those who are low. Who moves? God. God moves toward you. God moves toward you. God is always moving toward you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, always moving toward his people. And we don't just see that here. Peter, you know, doesn't do very well a few days later. Jesus tells him that he won't. And it comes like this. Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. All in. All in, Jesus. And Jesus says, you'll lay down your life for me. I'll tell you what, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, you're not one of his disciples, are you? I'm not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. And they asked him, you're not, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose, Peter, whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. And I think it's so tempting for us to read this story and think, man, if I'd been there, I would have owned it. I would have said, yes. Yes, I am. It's like these little fantasies we have, like, well, if a terrorist captured me, and he said, you have to deny Jesus Christ or I will kill you. We say, I would not deny Jesus Christ. They're like these little fantasies. They're generational. They're situational. A generation or two ago, it was like if the Nazis had you cornered in a room and said, now it's like if the terrorist has you, right? It's like, oh, I, I wouldn't deny. But the truth is it's a whole lot more subtle than that for most of us, isn't it? So Friday mornings for me are particularly busy, a little more, 
Yeah, they're a little more busy than other days. So I have to be on one side of campus, and then I have to go to the other side of campus, and then I have to quickly come back to the other side of campus. So in the weather, when the weather's fine, I can do the like, cross the bridge, do my thing, come back. When the weather is not fine, I need a little, a little zip, a little parking spot. And so the beautiful people of campus safety have given me this lovely little sign. And when I have to, I'll come in in the morning before my first early appointment, and I'll put it where I park my car, and so that I can zip over to the Prince Center and welcome all the Fridays at Calvin people and pray over them and tell them all the good stuff we do. And then I can zip back and find my parking spot and get to my next meeting. It's very handy. So this morning, or Friday morning, you know what the weather's been like. It's awful, right? It was awful on Friday morning. Do we even need to say that anymore? <laughs> so, so, I, so I'm zipping from meeting A to over to the Prince Center. I come back for meeting C, meeting A, meeting B, meeting C. Someone has parked in my spot. Someone has parked in my spot. And I pull up and I go, ah! And I was so ticked and I expressed my tick offedness. <laughs> because there, you know, there's always a conference going on and you can never find parking in the Fine Arts Center parking lot and then I gotta find my other thing and now I'm gonna be late for my meeting and I'm in a bad, crabby mood. And then I come into chapel and the entire week of chapel last week was about what? Humility. Poof. Jesus is like, um, Mayor. Mayor, are you gonna are you gonna are you gonna deny you know me over a parking spot? Is that really who you wanna be? I'm like, oh right? It's not the terrorist with a gun to your head. It's the moment you're sitting in Spanish class and you forget that verb tense on the quiz and the person next to you who gets like 98s on all the quizzes, you know that she's got beautiful handwriting and you can just like do that and get your verb tense. Deny Christ. It's that moment when you're sitting around the lunch table and somebody watches somebody walk away and makes a really crass comment about the person and then other people start to pile on and then out of your mouth come words that deny Jesus. Or it's when you're sitting and waiting and waiting for a job offer or graduate school and the more you think about it, the more worried you get and you just wring your hands and you act like somebody who doesn't know that God is faithful and you actually, in your worry and your you're just building up all this anxiety all the time. And when you anxiety all the time, it's denying Christ. It's the moment when you click the thing you shouldn't click. It's the moment when we say the thing we shouldn't say. It's the moment when we do the thing we shouldn't do. It's the moments when we choose pride and laziness and convenience and self over discipleship. I'm all in, Jesus. I'm all in. I will lay down my life for you. But if somebody steals my parking spot, what is it for you?
You're all in until. You're all in except. You're all in but. What does Jesus do with people who deny him? What does Jesus do with people like us? Well, the first thing he does is make them breakfast. John 21. Jesus is risen from the dead. At this point, he's appeared twice to his disciples. And then in John 21, we pick up the story. Page 883. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together was Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat. That night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only a hundred yards off. When they'd gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. The second time he said to him, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to them the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. What do we see here? 
What do we see Jesus doing here? It's consistent with what he has always done, right? The one who is broken, the one who is far off, the one who is marginalized, he moves toward him. And he moves toward him with a particular purpose in mind. Now, in the Gospel of John, you have to pay attention to numbers. And I'm just going to, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but 153, many Jewish scholars believe that there are 153 non-Jewish nations. One way to interpret that number, I think it's the most viable option. So an idea of how many they're going to catch, all the other nations. But there's another number that's woven through the Gospel of John that becomes particularly important here. How many times does Peter deny Jesus? How many times does Jesus ask the question? What number appearance is this since he has been raised from the dead? The miracle of the wedding at Canaan happens on which day? Resurrection of the dead happens on which day? What is Jesus doing to Peter? When Jesus moves toward Peter, he moves toward him with the purpose of bringing him from death to life. He moves toward him with the purpose of bringing him from brokenness to wholeness, from regret to hope. He is not going to let the words that, G- that Peter spoke around the fire on one night mark him for the rest of his life. Jesus is going to move him from death to life. He is going to raise him up from this sin. And did you notice that Peter didn't like it? Right? One time, two times, three times. Come on, this is so embarrassing. Jesus, the guys are listening. Right? It's like, this is really painful for me, Jesus, that you're asking me three times. When God is moving us from death to life, it's not always pain-free. In fact, it's usually painful. And when we imagine that a relationship with God is always lifting up our hands and praising it out and singing, we are ignoring the Bible. Because a relationship with God is marked by hard things and hard seasons when he is working on us and shaping us and moving us and saying, I'm not going to let you be stuck here. We are going to say it three times, Peter. Because we are going to together undo what was done. Just as I, in my person, am undoing the sin that was done at the dawn of creation. I am going to move you, Peter, from death to life because I love you too much. And my relationship with you is always one in which I move toward you to bring you from death to life. And that's what God does with us. A relationship with God isn't about you trying harder. It isn't about finding the perfect Bible reading plan or the perfect small group or the perfect church because, by the way, those things do not exist. It's about living a whole and holy, messy life before the face of a God who loves you too much to leave the dead parts of you dead. 
And your relationship with God looks very different from my relationship with God, very different from her relationship with God, because God is interacting with all of us all the time to move each of us and all of us from death to life. It's a very personal and intimate thing. And sometimes he gives us traveling companions that help us out. Hopefully he does. But your relationship with God isn't going to look like theirs. And the relationship you have with God now is not the relationship with God you're going to have five years from now. It's going to be different. You'll have gone through some stuff. You'll have learned a lot about yourself and God and how to pay attention to him. But here's where you know. <laughs> if he's asking you to do stuff that's hard, if he's asking you to confess sin that you don't want to confess, or if you're caught in the lie and you think that the sin that I have committed is so great it cannot be forgiven, that I can only handle him asking me twice, I can't handle the third thing. Our God is always moving toward you. He is always moving toward you. He is always moving toward you with the purpose of moving you from death to life. That's the relationship with God. That's what it looks like. It looks like resurrection. It looks like new life. And it looks sometimes like it's hard and it's painful and you would really prefer that he stopped asking you if you loved him. But he loves you too much to stop asking. Do you love him? Do you love him more than these? More than the GPA? More than the friends? More than the reputation? More than your vanity? More than your laziness? Do you love him more than these? Because he wants the very best for you. And so he says to you today, the thing that he said to Peter at the beginning and the thing that he said to Peter at the end, follow me. And if you want to know, is this the voice of God in my head? Does it sound like something Jesus would say? Is this something that God's inviting me to do? Does it look like something Jesus would do? Because a relationship with God moves you from death to life, and it moves you from looking less and less like Randy and more and more like Jesus, less and less like Jocelyn and more and more like Jesus, less and less like Caleb and more and more like Jesus. That's what a relationship with God looks like. Don't we want that? And don't we want that for our campus? Don't we want this to be a place where when people come on site, they go, there are so many people who look like Jesus around here. This is awesome. Because that's what a relationship with God looks like. It's not checking things off your to-do list. It's not going through the devotional books after one after another after another. It's about resurrection. It's about new life. It's about looking like Jesus. Are you in?
Let's pray. God, we give you praise and thanks that you are not a God who stands far off. You're not a God who just looks at us and wishes that we would do more to show how much we love you. Forgive us when we get caught up in that and we start dancing around an altar like the priests of Baal. Think that if we just do a little bit more, you're going to have to notice us when the truth is you've been here right all along. That you're the one who moves toward us. You're the one who moves us from death to life. And so, Lord, when we spot a bit of resurrection in our lives or in the lives of those around us, help us to celebrate, help us to notice, help us to pay attention. Thank you that you are a God. When we deny you, you do not deny us. Let you break bread and you make us a meal and you call us to follow. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you animate our lives and continue to work the process of sanctification within us so that the dead parts are risen. And we ask all of this in the only way we can, which is through our Jesus Christ, Lord of life, risen from the dead, and all God's people say, Amen.